everyone and welcome to Radically Normal. This is Michael and I'm here with Andre. On today's episode, we discuss how we should think about Jesus. We discuss Christology, we discuss the development and the making of the Nicene Creed, and uh, right before that, how that went wrong with Arius, and why Athanasius is important to our study of theology. We hope you enjoy the discussion. What's up, guys? Uh, yeah, so hope everyone's doing well. Hope you're doing well, Michael. How's your day been? Well, it was great. We we were at a, a Bible study this morning learning from, from Mr. Snyder, learning Revelation 19 through 21. But then we got back, we were sitting down to record, and I just spilled water all over our laptops. So that was a that was a big downturn. But the Father with, was faithful, and now we are recording. So it went well. Yeah, thankfully, uh, n- nothing bad happened. Your computer like restarted a couple times, but at least you didn't lose any of your files or anything like that. Yeah, for sure. So... I just feel, I guess, pretty blessed because we could both be out of a computer and not be recording. And instead, we have pages of notes, we have uh, documents up, we have recording software up. So it looks like everything's running properly and then we're good to go, I guess. Yeah. And uh, today, what we're going to do is something that Mike and I have been discussing. Uh, I think it was. I think it was my idea, but I think it's something that you were like really excited about when I brought up. It might've mm-hmm. been something you wanted to, you just didn't know if I would want to do it maybe. Uh-huh, exactly. But uh, basically what we're going to do is uh, talk about uh, like a historical figure, a historical event of uh, that has to do with like uh, the story of Christianity. And we're going to like discuss why it's, why that person's important. Uh, today we decided to do Athanasius and the Nicene Creed, the, the Council of Nicaea. And we thought it was a really interesting topic, and I'm really excited to, you know, dive into that. Uh, but yeah, basically we're gonna we're we're picking a historical figure and, and we're um, expounding upon him. So I think I think the first thing that can come to mind, especially if you're new new to this kind of thing, is just why is this random person with a weird name Athanasius relevant to my own Christian life, and why is the Nicene Creed relevant? We're gonna get a lot into why all of that's super important for how we think about Jesus. At the same time, uh, if you think back to our episode that was essentially like a the- uh, theology 101 and getting into theology, I talked a little bit about how uh, the church history is very important because the Spirit, the Holy Spirit's work didn't just appear in the book of Acts, disappear after the book of Acts, and then reappear when you became a Christian. The Holy Spirit has been working in his church and in the world for, uh, for 2,000 years now. And so seeing how the Spirit has uh, guided us into truth and seeing how the Spirit has worked in the church is super important. And this this topic in particular is going to help us think about Jesus in uh, in a way that's revealed in the Bible. So I hope it's fruitful. Yeah, and um, so, you know, as we get into this, you know, if you think back to like, uh, you know, Exodus, for example, you know, the Egyptian empire was in, was in power. Well, right now during the time of Athanasius, the, the Roman empire is in power. And during this time, uh, their leader was uh, Constantine. Now, the interesting thing about him is that he was allowing for more, uh, you know, uh, Christians to teach and, uh, you know, have more freedoms and all that kind of thing. He actually converted to Christianity. And so during this time, there was there was a, a, a big opportunity for, for people to discover more about, like, what their beliefs were, uh, um, kind of like making a, a theological understanding of, of Christianity and that kind of thing. And really what Constantine wanted, he, he really wanted unity and he thought he, Christianity was very important to him. And uh, during this time, you know, the Christian church was kind of like very widespread throughout Europe, uh, throughout parts of Africa, throughout the Middle East. Um, so like, as it was growing, he really, he was trying to guide it and, you know, really be like a leader. And he thought that this was important. A, a bit of this was because of his arrogance, you know, thinking that God had like chosen him to, sure. to, to spread the, Christianity and that kind of thing. 
But basically that leads us to, you know, just like what's actually going on. So one thing that's important is just like how we got to Constantine. So, uh, oh, for sure. so just, just real briefly, we're going to talk about how did Christianity go from having, you know, 12 disciples, 70 people, Jesus appeared to the 500, Paul says in first Corinthians 15. And then how did we get to like the millions of Christians that there were when Constantine was, was emperor? So one of the big things was that before Constantine was emperor, there was widespread persecution of Christians. Some people called Christians atheists because think about it. If you, if you believe in millions of gods and Christians believe in one God, it would almost seem like they believe in nothing. And then you had Christians called cannibals. You think of Jesus saying, you know, if you if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you won't inherit the kingdom of heaven. And so you had a lot of persecution of Christians. Christians blamed for things. Christians killed. But Christians used uh, death, martyrdom, to spread the faith because they could they could witness uh, to the truth as they as they died. Romans used spectacle as death. Christ used death uh, for victory. And then we think about. Uh, like Andre's talking about, Constantine becomes emperor, but it's just interesting to think about the numbers. By 100 AD, it's estimated that only, so right after the last book of the Bible was written, it's estimated that there were about 5,000 Christians, but by three, the year 300, right, bef- uh, right before the Nicene Creed and Council at Nicaea in 325, it's estimated there were already 10 million Christians in Rome. So there was a large spread, and one of those things was martyrdom, and another one of those things was just a, a communal love that, that was distinct from uh, any other religion or any other gathering of people and belief. So that's kind of where we're at now, and then, uh, like Andre said, we, we're here with Constantine. And, you know, one interesting thing is that as Christians, like, change from, like, being uh, persecuted to kind of having the ability to, you know, to kind of, they're kind of, like, elevated in, in a way because of Constantine and just because of like what was going on during the time. An interesting thing is that a lot of them started like looking to philosophy and like uniting that with theology. So obviously with like imperfection of, of like humans, like there was people who had, you know, uh, misconceptions or, you know, they were their their idea of like philosophy and theology going together just was not correct, which like brings us like the main disagreement, which we're talking about today, which is between Arius and Alexander and like a very important discussion to, you know, where Christianity is today. So do you want to like talk about the two different views and like kind of how they differed? Yeah, for sure. So the so we're now so thinking about Constantine, thinking about the Council at Nicaea, that's all in the early 4th century leading up to about 325 when the council was. But if we go back to the 2nd and 3rd centuries, a heresy that was really popular at the time or that was spreading was something called modalism. You think of the root word there, mode. Essentially, it taught that God just had different modes, that he wasn't three persons in one being, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but that instead God just appeared in one of those three modes at a time. Just one example that shows that is problematic is Jesus' baptism, where the Father speaks, Jesus is being baptized, and the Spirit descends on Jesus like a dove. But just going back to that, so that was a heresy that was going on. Arius, who's now going to be central to our discussion as we continue, was not a was not a fan of modalism. He he, but he did teach that, and this is the big heresy. This is where things go wrong. Arius taught in Alexandria. Alexandria, like Andre said, people were uh, bringing together philosophy and different ideas about religion. And uh, Alexandria was known for education. It had intellectual leaders from Judaism, Christianity, paganism, you name it. And so, he essentially said that. 
the the son of God, Jesus Christ, was created by God, that he was the greatest creature. And it's interesting because you, if you look at a, a survey of people in, in evangelical churches today and you ask them, uh, true or false, or do you slightly agree, somewhat disagree, and those sorts of questions about is Jesus the greatest created being ever, true or false, a lot of people, and in some surveys even a majority, will say true. And this is the heresy. This is still here today sometimes, is that Jesus was created and uh, that, that the Son of God is not co-eternal, is not equal with the Father. And just to, just to give one quote from Arius, Arius said, If the Father begat the Son, then he who was begotten had a beginning in existence. And from this it follows that there was a time when the Son was not. So he was saying that the Son of God had it. There was a time when the Son of God was not there when the father was, and this is the heresy that is so central to the council at Nicaea and the man of Athanasius. And it's also, it's just really crazy to think about because, you know, as Christians, one of the, the most important things is, is, you know, the Trinity. But during this time, like the, the, the word Trinity wasn't really like super popular yet. It, it wasn't really like something that, you know, everyone just, it wasn't just like a common word. So, but it kind of like, it is important though because the Trinity or the eternality of, of of Jesus, as Michael was saying, that's very crucial to you know when Jesus being sacrificed for our sins. You know, without the eternality of Jesus, that kind of like diminishes uh, Jesus as as our Savior. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If so, Jesus has to be fully God and fully man to be the mediator that he, the Book of Hebrews talks about, because he has to be fully God to take upon the infinite judgment and wrath of God and thinking of God's love, he has to be fully man to, to be the substitute in our place. So that, that is central. Exactly. And then, so basically Alexander and Athanasius, they took big issue with, you know, the, the teachings of, of Arius. And he was a really good speaker going around telling this to people. And a lot of people were believing him. And Alexander had a huge issue with this. Yeah. So this, if you're wondering how Alexander came on the scene, Athanasius was actually, he basically shadowed or worked underneath Bishop Alexander, who was a bishop in the church. And so Athanasius at the time was serving as a deacon, as a secretary to this bishop. And so, like Andre was saying, Constantine desired unity and for there to be one, uh, one pronounced faith and belief about the Son of God in the, in the Christian church. So he, he summoned the council at Nicaea. Yeah. And then, essentially, it was a, there was more to it, but essentially there was a thorough debate between Arius and Alexander. Uh, here's a nice summary, just a couple sentences from Ryan Reeves, who's a, who's a writer. He said, The council met and heard the claims of both Arius and Alexander. The debate was not as up in the air as it seems. Part of the council's deliberations were spent understanding what Arius' teachings actually were, since many were unaware of his theology. In the end, the council came down like a hammer on the idea that the son was a creature, stating that the son was begotten, not made, of one being with the father. And then we end up with the Nicene Creed, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. Yeah, so after, you know, calling the council and, you know, ha having everyone come together, they ended up uh, voting on, you know, which which way was they were going to take between, you know, what Arius was, was preaching or, or what Alexander and, you know, uh, Athanasius were, were, were teaching people. And Constantine didn't really care which, which one they picked. He just wanted them to pick one. And that was, like, one thing I was asking Michael about, like, the fact that, like, Constantine didn't really care. You know, there was a vote and that kind of thing. And... You know, his answer to me was, you know, the Holy Spirit was obviously overlooking all of this. And it's like important to like note that like this like really shaped, you know, the future and like the pre like, at, like, like right today 
like how we view Christianity and like what's important to it. And, you know, obviously it shaped the Nicene Creed, which is also extremely important. Yeah. So the, the Jesus tells us that the spirit is, is coming and now it has come to guide us into all truth. This doesn't mean that there's no wrong theology. There's definitely wrong theology like we're talking about. And it also doesn't mean that anything that you think when you're, when, if you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit is correct, because obviously we have, uh, we have Catholic theology, Methodist theology, Baptist theology. Like we have so we have things that differ, and we can we can still relate in terms of uh, central tenets of Christianity, which we're going to talk about when we talk about orthodoxy later. But yeah, so there was the council, and Constantine was desiring unity and one pronounced idea, and so the council wanted there to be essentially a summary or uh, a creed w- that would be put out about this. And I think one thing people can think is well. What's with this idea of a council? Like it should just be kind of obvious. One thing that's important to note, or maybe even two things, is that the, the most important heresies are not things that are uh, are not things that are coming from people outside of the church, where people are teaching things that just don't align with the te- with the with what the Word of God says, but actually are coming from within the church. Arius was teaching his Bible, and he was teaching the Bible like this, and, uh, and that's how a lot of heresy heresy is birthed, and then. Second, this is not the first council in the history of the church. In Acts chapter 15, we had the council at Jerusalem where Paul and other leaders in the church were debating how Gentiles related to the law. So this, so councils aren't foreign to the idea of the Bible, and the Spirit shaped the future of the church as we landed on a proper understanding of who Jesus is and what his divine nature is like. Yeah, so then basically I think we we probably should just like, you know, go ahead and just read the, the, the Nicene Creed. So just like everyone's like familiar with it who's never seen it before. So, yeah, do you want me to do that? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, this is the Nicene Creed. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, born of the Father before all ages. God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, consubstantial, or of the same essence, with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us men and for our salvation, he came down from heaven and by the Holy Spirit was incarnate of the Virgin Mary and became man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried and rose again on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is adored and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. I believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. I confess one baptism for the forgiveness of sins and I look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. So, the key words here, do you care if I get into this real quick? No, no, go for it. So the key words here are, are up when we talk about of the same substance with the Father. This whole Nicene Creed was a debate about one word. Arius thought that the nature of Jesus in rel- relative to the Father was of like substance, and Alexander and Orthodox Christianity teaches that Jesus is of the same substance. Jesus says in John chapter 10, I and the Father are one. And so what you ended up with was Arius was saying, in, talking about Jesus' substance in relation to the Father, that it was homoousius, and Jesus, or sorry, not Jesus, Jesus would say this about himself, but uh, Alexander and others in the church were arguing that, that Jesus in relative to the Father is 
homoousios, which is the same substance versus like substance. So actually one letter, you add the I, you get homoi, you take it out, you get homo. So that was the real debate there. And this is what we landed on. Yeah. And this basically shaped, you know, how we view Jesus, how we view the Trinity, all of those things. And I think some, some other important things to, you know, think about is, is, you know, during this time, it's different than now because now we have all these like theological books, like in the getting into theology episode that we released, uh, where we can like learn about all the, like the great things that, you know, people have like thought about and different like theological aspects, philosophy and all that kind of thing. Right now is when like they're actually making it. And at the end when it says, you know, the, the Catholic church, the, like this is what they believe. Like, it's not just like the Catholic church of like how we, we think of it today, but it's, this is literally like the entire sphere of like Christianity, like as they knew it during that day, was like encompassing of like Europe, um, the parts of Africa, the Middle East. It was basically encompassing all of that. And this was like shaping like how they would move forward in their teachings of who Christ was, um, that he was, you know, um, eternal, that he wasn't like just made by, by the Father, but that he was like one and the same with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. Yes, exactly. So when we, so I've, I've mentioned a couple times the, the idea of orthodoxy. So this isn't the Eastern Orthodox Church or the Greek Orthodox Church or any of those types of churches that you may think about when you think of the word orthodox. This is a lowercase o orthodoxy. And essentially, Orthodox Christianity, not Eastern Orthodox, but lowercase o Orthodox Christianity can be thought of as what are the essentials? If you don't believe this, you're not a Christian. That was This is what we see in the Nicene Creed, what we see in the Apostles' Creed, what we see in the, the Creed in the, from the Council at Chalcedon later on as well, is that we see that, that uh, we see historic Orthodox Christianity summed up, that if you take Methodists, you take Baptists, you take Catholics, anything under any denomination under the banner of Christianity, historic Orthodox Christianity will all affirm what the Nicene Creed says. And that's significant because that means whether we differ on Calvinism or we differ on the idea of infant versus believers baptism or anything of that sort, Christians can partner with one another in the mission and the kingdom of Christ because we all go back to this and other creeds that are similar uh, in ancient history. You know, and after this, it's interesting, you know, Arius, uh, they didn't, you know, they didn't take up his view, which obviously was wrong. Uh, but, you know, he, he kept on uh, going around and, you know, he kept on teaching and trying to do all those things. But, you know, that's not really important as much to what we want to, the track we want to go on now. So, you know, you guys have heard a lot about, you know, the dis- the dispute between Arius and Alexander. Well, under Alexander was, was a bishop, right? Uh, Athanasius. Well, so Alexander was the bishop. Athanasius was under him. Was deacon. A- Athanasius, yes, and then was Athanasius ends up like he ends up taking his place. I'm pretty sure. Okay, so you haven't really heard about like you know why is Athanasius important? How is he important to the Nicene Creed and all that? We do want to focus a bit on Athanasius because we also think that he's really important to you know Christianity and like how it was shaped. Despite him not being super key to the council at Nicaea, he was he did have a really big impact on you know how we view Christianity today, um, other aspects of, of, you know, this same idea, but also in, in, in a different way, you know, he's still shaped in, a, in not at the, at the council, but he did shape it. Yeah. So, so the council had a big impact on him and his, and the guy above him, Alexander had a big impact on him. So then Athanasius essentially spent the rest of his life defending what we consider central to our faith today, the, the co-eternality of the father and the son, that the son was of the same substance, like the Nicene Creed says, and so he wrote a lot about that. He defended that. He taught that. And so he's considered uh, one of the, the great theological teachers in the early church. And 
just just one thing that if you're just looking like okay maybe he wrote a lot but like is there anything that like is actually worth reading he wrote this little like 70 page book called on the incarnation where he he doesn't just talk about the that how god was born he doesn't just talk about the birth of christ he talks about the divinity of christ and how god became man but kept his divine nature and just one quote is uh, athanasius writes through the incarnation of the word the word referring to jesus the universal providence its giver and creator the very word of god have been made known he was incarnate that we might be made god so it's so one of the famous quotes from athanasius is that he is that jesus if we're going to paraphrase it into how we might say it today, Jesus became man so that we might become God. Not that we're actually becoming divine, but that so we become perfected in our flesh and we get to enjoy the things of heaven. And Athanasius continues, And Jesus manifested himself through a body, that we might receive an idea of the invisible Father, and he endured the insults of human beings, that we might inherit incorruptibility. So, that. When he's talking about an idea of the invisible father, this is where we turn to how we should think of Jesus properly, maybe. So one of the key things is there's parts of the Bible. All the Bible is about one central theme, and we always like to talk about that, how all of the Bible is pointing forward or back or thinking about Jesus Christ himself. Uh, And there's passages in the Bible, though, that focus more on who Jesus is than others, whether that's the book of Hebrews, that's Colossians 1, John 1, John 14 through 17, Colossians 1, but... Key, key verses just in Colossians 1 where uh, Paul says that in Christ the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In Hebrews 1, 3 where uh, the author of Hebrews says that uh, Jesus is the exact imprint of the Father. So that we know that when we see Jesus, when we learn about Jesus, we are seeing the character and the nature of God the Father himself. And as Michael said, you know, to Athanasius it was, it was disrespectful. It was just completely just like blatantly wrong. To think that uh, Jesus wasn't eternal and he thought that that just diminished God's glory and, and God's plan for um, how he wanted to restore us. And, you know, to Athanasius, he, he spent the rest of his life, you know, going out and teaching um, um, about like the events that took place at, at the Council of Nicaea and about how, you know, Jesus is, is eternal, about like who Jesus is and, and how the church should view him. Yeah, exactly. So. I mean, you just think about, I, I just referenced a couple of verses, but you think about the beginning of John 1, how the, the, the John the Evangelist begins his gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, saying Jesus Christ is God. And then he begins talking about how the, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so we see that God himself, God the Son, has indwelt, uh, has indwelt a human body, has become Jesus Christ. And, and that's who we learned about. And so Athanasius spent his life defending that faith. And there's a lot of repercussions if we don't think about Jesus properly. And that's why the Nicene Creed and that's why Athanasius' ministry is so central to how we do think about Jesus. Yeah. And then, you know, as Michael said, we just like see this throughout the whole Bible. And it just reminded me of like this morning when we were talking about Revelation 19, where when like Jesus comes back after the tribulation, you know, he and then, you know, it says, and he was the word of God, you know. Um, or he is the word of God, not was, but, you know, and then it's like important to, you know, now we want to talk about like some, some applications of like how it's important to like our everyday lives and, you know, just ask Christians how it's important, um, that we know that, that Jesus and God are one, the eternality of, of, of Christ and all that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. So like Andre was saying earlier, the fact that Jesus is co-eternal and is infinite 
and has always existed and was not a creature, was not created by the Father, is essential to our salvation because Jesus has to take on the infinite wrath of God, and then Jesus also has to be fully man to die in our place. That's why the author of Hebrews also says that, and as we begin to study Jesus a lot in our Gospel of Mark time, you're going to hear me referencing my favorite book a lot, but that's why the author of Hebrews says that that uh, he, he took on flesh as we are and has been tempted in every way as we have been, yet did not succumb to the flesh, did not give into that temptation, what uh, was without sin. So I think that one of the I think that one of the things you see in the church today is if if we're just thinking about well why is Athanasius important for how I think about Jesus? It's true that in John 15 Jesus essentially says that he is our friend, but I think that we sometimes end up with this a uh, he's my homeboy, he's my dude type of theology about Jesus, and if we that's uh, not really the picture that like Paul or Athanasius even, but if we're thinking about scripture, Paul or the gospel accounts where Jesus speaks of himself, Jesus is very near to us and he loves us and he comforts us and he's completely human and he endured all that pain and suffering on the cross. And at the same time, he's He's the Lord of all creation. He It says in Hebrews also chapter one, that uh, by the word of his power, he upholds the entire universe. So he's also, he's also God in the flesh. And I think that we we can hold that tension of him being near to us and lowly in spirit and him also being, you know, the eternal God, the son. You know, as, as we were like studying about Arius and Athanasius and, and the council and all that, I was looking up like, you know, what, what was Arius even like going around and saying? And, and I found this like one thing and it was, it basically was talking about how Arius was like such a good speaker and like people would like come from like all over the place to listen to him. And like one of the things that like, he did one time was like, he like picked up an apple, he got an apple from like a tree or whatever and like took a bite of it and said, he said, look, the apple is of the tree, but when I eat this apple, I'm not eating the tree, am I? And everyone was like in awe of like what he was saying and they were like kind of confused. But, you know, it's important to think of like, you know, how wrong he was because, you know, if Jesus wasn't really one with the father and he wasn't like co-eternal and he was as, as Arius was like saying was like actually just um, a created being and lesser than God. You know, how could we like trust all the things that Jesus was saying about the father and like trust in like the, the, the plan um, of restoration that the father has for us through, through Jesus, you know, because Jesus is eternal with the father and because of like Jesus's greatness and, and that he is one, he is God, you know, that just like shows like how much we can like actually trust all of his teachings, you know, trust the gospels, trust like in what the Bible says in the new Testament about it. And like, you know, trust uh, God's plan for us and like uh, the atonement of our sins through Jesus. Exactly. So, like I referenced earlier, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. So, when he's talking about his submission to the Father, we know that in his human nature, he is submitted to uh, God's divine plan, and and the plan involved the crucifixion, uh, and God's wrath, and the plan also involved, thankfully, the resurrection. Uh, But like Andre is saying, we want to be able to trust God, and because Jesus is fully God, we can trust that. And and it's not just that Arianism was around then. Arianism Arianism is around now. There's Arian Mormonism is very popular. But we need to hold to things that the church has taught historically, that the Spirit has guided us into about Christ, that the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Christ, and that Jesus reveals the Father, and that we can cling to this Orthodox Christian thinking and think about our Lord and Savior in an accurate way. As we read through, uh, actually, conveniently this season, the Gospel of Mark. You know, you just want to like keep these things in mind too. Like as you study, as like you read what other people have to say, you want to make sure that like what they're teaching and what they're saying, like 
corresponds and is like accurate to like all the creeds, like Michael was saying, you know, the Nicene Creed, um, the Apostles' Creed, all those things, just make sure it's all consistent. But, you know, with that, um, I think that's like kind of the end of, of all of our points and all. So hope you guys enjoy the discussion about Athanasius and the Nicene Creed. Yeah, for sure. I totally agree. Uh, reread the Nicene Creed if you're not familiar. Maybe pick up Athanasius' On the Incarnation. And hopefully we'll be back with another episode and a dry computer. See you guys back next week. Yeah, talk to you soon.